Welcome, everybody. I'm Chris Miller, author of the number one best-selling book, Ready for Pre-Tirement, Three Secrets for Safe Money and a Fabulous Future. I'm so honored to be the host of this show called Ready, Set, Retire. Do you lay awake at night wondering if you have enough money to pay the bills, let alone retire? In this show, your vision will be transformed, and I will show you how to have safe money and a fabulous future. I've counseled thousands of individuals, businesses, and families over the past 20-plus years and proud to say I've never lost a dollar of my client's money. I will share with you secrets I've learned over two decades that only the few rich know and really have been around for centuries. Most Americans are not prepared for their golden years, let alone today. So no matter what your financial status, you can be prepared to enjoy your life and never run out of money. Because this topic is so huge, I've been blessed to meet some amazing experts that can share with you more information so that you can really learn how to be ready for pre-retirement. Pre-retirement is plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your peace of mind is there when you need it. Now, today, my special guest is Bob Berg, and Bob is amazing. He's a sought-after speaker at corporate conventions, and he usually talks to large groups anywhere from 50 to 1,600. He shares the platform with notables, including today's top thought leaders, broadcast personalities, Olympic athletes, political leaders, including the former U.S. president. Although for years he's been known for his book, Endless Referrals, over the past few years, it is his business parable, The Go-Giver, which he co-authored with John David Mann, that has captured the heart and imagination of his readers. In a shot to number six on the Wall Street Journal's business bestsellers list in just three weeks after its release and reached number nine on Business Weeks. Since its release, it has consistently stayed in the top 25 on 800 CEOs reads business book bestseller list, and it's translated in 21 languages. He believes his new book, Adversaries into Allies, will win people over without manipulation or coercion, is far his most important work yet. Bob is an advocate and supporter and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is an unapologetic, unapologetic animal fanatic and serves as a member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinics in Juniper, Florida. I really like that. You know, love the animals. All right, Bob, glad, glad to have you on the show. Chris, it's great to be with you. I always love speaking with you. Well, I, I really, really appreciate your attitude and, and, not only the state of mind with the with the right attitude on how to get through life, but also taking care of the animals. That's really cool. Well, that's a real passion of mine, and we just just adopted out one that I uh, I was fostering for a while. And so while we're we have mixed feelings because very sad oh. to see her go because we adored her, but went right. to a very very nice family. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's great. So the title of your book, I really like it. It's it's very interesting. It's adversaries into allies. So you're basically saying that everyone and every anyone who is in any way disagrees with you is your with you like is your enemy, right? 
<laughs> no, it doesn't sound like that, though, does it? No, really, it could be anyone when you think of it, even a very nice person who uh, in in most circumstances you would like, but uh, the the context is, is somewhat adversarial. It might be, or potentially adversarial, it could be the customer service representative who, uh, you know, you need to exchange an item, and if you're like I am, Chris, you, you forgot it or you lost it, the, the receipt, and uh, in, in their company policy is you, you need the receipt in order to return it or get your money back or whatever, and this customer service person, you know, hasn't been trained or hasn't been empowered to be able to live in the solution and be able to help you out, so you need to be able to handle it in a, a very kind and tactful, diplomatic and effective way to, to get the results you want. Or it might be asking your boss for a raise, and you might love your boss, uh, but in this case, you know, the boss doesn't necessarily want to give you a raise, and that could be adversarial as well. So, I, you know, I used to love the saying, well, I, I still do love the saying that I, I first learned uh, from reading a quote of Sadaharu Oh. He was the all-time leading home run hitter in, in Japanese baseball. They used to call him the Japanese Babe Ruth. He was such a prolific home run hitter. And what he what he said, and I love this, was, I never saw the opposing pitcher as my adversary, but rather as my partner in hitting home runs. And in that same way, I see, uh, if we're going to define adversaries for, for this book, Adversaries into Allies, I see our adversaries simply as our partners in our attaining personal satisfaction, while at the same time helping them to, to come away better off as well. Right, right. Oh, that's, you know, it's so important that to have that attitude, because it, it really opens doors so you know, we hear the the word influence used a lot, and that word is used throughout your book. What really is influence, and why is it so important? Well, on a very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Um, you know, we often think of of that as as being pushy, you know, pushing someone. But really, when you think of it, influence is not about push. You very rarely hear someone say, wow, that Chris Miller, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. No, they'd say she has a lot of pull with people. And I believe that's really the essence of influence. It's pull. It's it's an attraction. Uh, Great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas. And they really, they, they do that through pull, a gentle type of, of pull, and um, which really, uh, you know, allows them to attain buy-in and commitment from people rather than to try to, to, to use compliance. And the results, of course, with that are, are so much better. Now, why is it so important? Well, when you think of it, and, and, you know, the leadership speaker, Dr. John Maxwell, who has said before, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. He's also said influence is everything. And in the context that he said that, I absolutely agree, and, and here's why. So you can have really all the positive success traits working for you. Uh, you can be very talented and of extremely high character. Uh, you can be ambitious, kind, charitable, hardworking, thrifty, and energetic. Uh, you can have a knack for numbers and a head for business. You can be even tempered and creative and much more. And, and hey, let's face it, all that's great. It's terrific. Uh, however, unless you can influence others, unless you can move people to the desired and 
appropriate action, your chances of it for obtaining significant success, Chris, are, are, are really somewhat limited. Now, on the other hand, when combining benevolent intent and a learned skill set, now you can find yourself constantly, consistently, and even predictably attaining both personal and business satisfaction um, while really touching the lives of everyone you meet with, with exceptional value. So it's that person who is able to influence, who can move others in such a way that everyone feels good about it. That's the person who really accomplishes the most. That's great. That's that's the difference between a pushy person and someone that's pulling, right? Right, exactly. That's great. So can a boss or an employer or a supervisor just order their employees to do what they want after all, if it's not done, they can fire them and get someone else, right? Yeah. So, you know, if the question is, can they? Of course, absolutely. They can They can do what they like, um, but they won't probably have the results that they really want. <laughs> I mean, when you think of it, when someone is the boss you're describing who is – uh, they, they have you know positional authority in, in leadership teaching. It's actually called positional leadership, right? The person has a, a what? A title, uh, department head, supervisor, manager, uh, employer, and let's face it, just you know, as you said, uh, the, you know, the employee knows if they want any chance of of uh, advancement, a, a promotion, a raise, or to not get punished or disciplined or fired, they need to do what they're told. But but that's you know that's compliance. That's compliance. And the challenge with trying to lead or influence others through compliance, whether you're leading a team of a thousand or a hundred or a family member or, or a committee of three or, you know, whomever, um, the challenge with trying to influence through compliance is that at best, the person's going to do exactly what they're told and not one bit more. And that's at best. At worst, they're going to find a way to sabotage the process completely, consciously or, or unconsciously. Uh, but again, that's compliance. The opposite of compliance is commitment. And uh, you know, this commitment is really practically, I believe, always a result of the, the influencer not just understanding, but really embracing um, the concept. And, and Dale Carnegie talked about this in his classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think it's one of the uh, – uh, and it was such a brilliant book, uh, How to Win Friends. Brilliant book. And I think this saying, this one sentence summarized it all. And Carnegie said, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So, you know, the great influencer constantly asks themselves questions. They question themselves. Uh, you know, how does, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does that align with their goals, their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does what I want this other person to do <laughs> align with their values? And when asking ourselves these questions, uh, intelligently, thoughtfully, uh, and authentically, you know, not as a way to manipulate another human being, but as a way to help build them as well as ourselves, uh, then we've gone a long way toward earning that commitment. And there's such a huge difference in results between commitment and compliance. Uh, one of my great friends and mentors, Dondi Skumachi, uh, she says, and she's a great speaker and leader, uh, and speaks to you know, companies and groups all over the world. And I, I absolutely love this from Dondi. She says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Mm 
Oh, I think that's Absolutely. so. It's so true. Yeah. That's, a, that's really a nice parable there. I like that. Thank you. So, so you claim there's a big difference, and this, these are, you know, these delineations really can, you know, make and break you and put, you know, send you on the right path. So, you know, there's a, you, you say there's a big difference between persuasion and manipulation. So is there really though, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because if we look at influence as, you know, again, moving another person to a, a certain action, a desired action, then we look at how that's done and, and someone could certainly do that through manipulation, which I believe is pretty evil, or they could do it through persuasion, which I believe is is very uh, productive and, and and very good, very righteous. Uh, it, it, but you know, you've got to look at the two: uh, manipulation and persuasion. There's a huge difference, but they are certainly related. They're certainly cousins. Why? Why do I say that? Because both the manipulator and the persuader. Both understand human motivation. They both understand how to move people to action. Um, so, you know, so what really is the difference between the two? Well, I be- believe it begins with intent, but it doesn't end there. Uh, first, you know, I uh, read, I was reading a, a book years ago. And it happens that this book was written in 1987, a long time ago, and uh, it was it, it. The name of the book was "The Art of Talking," so that people w- will listen. Although it was much more about listening than it was about talking. Uh, the author was Dr. Paul Sweat, and it was really a brilliant book. And in his book, he gave what I thought was the best delineation of the two, the best differentiator of, of, of manipulation and persuasion that I'd ever read or ever heard. And basically what he said was manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. Uh, it does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. He continues that in direct contrast to the manipulator, the persuader seeks to enhance the self-esteem of the other party. The result is that people respond better because they're treated as responsible, as we might say response-able, self-directing individuals. So I believe the first part, you know, is is in the intent. I mean, a manipulator might not be trying to hurt another person, but they don't necessarily care if they do, as long as they get what they want. It's win at all costs, and they're very I-focused or or me-focused. You know, with a persuader, that would not happen. In order for them to feel good about the transaction, they need to feel as though you also came away a winner. And that's why I say that while the difference between the two, manipulation and persuasion, begins with intent, I don't believe it ends there. Because while you know, both of them can elicit immediate action. Once you know you've been manipulated, you're going to avoid that person. You're going to do your best to resist that person, even if you have to work for that person. You're going to do your best to, to not be as involved as possible and, and so forth. With a persuader, it's totally opposite. You know, if you've been persuaded, uh, you know, you you probably feel great about what happened and great about the person. And as such, you're going to be much more likely to join them, follow them, buy from them, what have you, in the future. Right. Absolutely. You know, you talk about people skills, and and you seem to put a lot of emphasis on their importance. And why would you say they're so important? 
Well, it's so often the difference maker. I think we've all seen situations where someone really was very talented and, and had so many things going for them, uh, and, and and they had some very legitimate uh, success. They reached a very legitimate level of success. Uh, and then someone else came along who you know, was maybe about as talented or maybe not even as talented, and yet they seemed to bypass that person, whether it was up the corporate ladder or whether it was as an entrepreneur or you know getting funding or whether it was in sales. Why? Well, because that person seemed to have that knack, and I put that word knack in, you know, air quotes, quotation marks, uh, knack, because it really isn't necessarily a knack for most of us, it's a learned skill, but they seem to have that way about them to be able to elicit agreement from others. And really what that comes down to is people skills. And that's why I wrote this book, because when you are able to really utilize the five principles of ultimate influence, as I call them in the book, you're going to find yourself getting the results you want when dealing with others uh, on a much more consistent basis. And you're going to feel great about it because the other person's going to feel great about it. So it really is the ultimate win-win. Right. And, and, you say that ultimately people do things for their reasons, not our reasons, mm-hmm. and, right? And, and the difference between the persuasion and manipulation. And are, are people really that selfish? Uh, yeah, I can answer that. Is that going to, you know, isn't that going to spoil people's desire to think of other people as well as for themselves as good people, right? <sighs> Well, you know, just because people do things for their reasons doesn't mean that they're negative reasons. You know, the person who gives, uh, you know, who writes a check for $5,000 to charity, uh, if I may suggest your local humane society or, you know, do- uh, dog shelter, animal shelter, uh, the person who does that does that because uh, that's what they want to do. They feel better about writing that check for $5,000 to their local animal shelter than they do about spending it on something else or not writing out that check. So so just because people do things for their reasons, not ours, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It means everybody lives their lives in pursuit of, of happiness as they understand happiness to be uh, and in relation to the various choices they have. And that's why what a great influencer does is they don't try to just get someone to do what they, the influencer, wants them to do because it's just not going to work. It's not going to happen. What they've got to do is they've got to tie together what they would like to have happen along with what that other person is going to want to have happen. And it's only when we do that that we're able to persuade another person. So, you know, I, I think it's fine that, you know, people do things for their reasons. I, you know, I don't think we can expect them to do things for our reasons. <laughs> right, right. You know, I really, it's, it's really neat you talk about the five principles of the ultimate influence. So what are they? And is ultimate influence different from regular influence? You know, the only way it's different is is only that influence itself isn't necessarily good or bad. It just is. It's it's being able to move someone to a, a you know to a certain action uh, where you know, and that could be a, if a manipulator uses it, it's bad. If a persuader uses it, it's good. So uh, that's influence itself. Ultimate influence is uh, you know when I when I use the term ultimate influence, I'm simply talking about that person who has that ability, that usually a learned ability, to get the results they want when dealing with others, but in such a way that they help that other person feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. 
And that's what I call ultimate influence. Now, the, the five laws, the five principles, if you will, of ultimate influence are simply, number one, control your own emotions. Number two, understand the clash of belief systems. Number three, acknowledge their ego. Number four, uh, set the proper frame. And number five is to communicate with tact and empathy. Mm. Good ones. Wow. Thank you. Control your emotions. That that would be when I call technical support or something. <laughs> well, exactly. Sometimes you know when we well we need to control our emotions enough to make that call and not be screaming while we're telling them what's wrong so that they can hear us and help uh, figure out or know what they need to do. Right. You know, it sounds obvious, and you know, you can know it intellectually, but to, to instantly your emotion gets in the way. You know, it you people lose it and they start yelling at the person that's not helping them or whatever. Right. And so, so it sounds obvious, but what do you, you know, what do you mean by it? Sure. Well, you know, controlling our own emotions is really where it, where it all starts because it's only when we're in control of our emotions that we're even in a position to be able to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a, a win for everyone involved. As human beings, we are emotional creatures. Uh, we'd like to think we're logical, and, and to a certain extent, of course, we are, but we're mainly emotion-driven. We make major decisions in our lives based on on emotion, and then we, we often back up those emotional decisions with logic. We rationalize, which if you break up the word rationalize, it simply means we tell ourselves rational lies, and right, right. we do that in order to justify the emotion-based decision. Uh, but let's talk about another type of emotion, and that's the emotion in which we really have negative feelings that can be that can be set off by the action of others. Now we know that nobody can make us mad or or sad or angry or frustrated or whatever. Uh, but what they can do is they can either intentionally or usually unintentionally say or do things that push our buttons, and we make ourselves mad or angry or sad or depressed or you know desperate or whatever it happens to be. And when we are acting out of those emotions, we're not in a position of strength. Uh, I begin the book by asking the question, who is, it's a question from the sages of old, and that is, who is mighty or who is a mighty person? And their answer was, that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. And so when we're not in control of our own emotions, we're in a position of weakness. We're in a position of strength. We're not thinking. We're not being logical. And the chances are the situation is not because the other person is probably emotional because most people, that's just how they are. So we've got to be the ones that are in control, that control our own emotions. Zig Ziglar, the late, great, wonderful speaker, used to say it was the difference between reacting and responding. And he used to say that reacting is negative because when you react, you're allowing other you know, outside circumstances or other people to control you. When you respond, you're in control of your emotions. And I, I used to love the analogy he used. He'd say, um, did you respond well to the medication or did you have a bad reaction? <laughs> and isn't that so true? So yeah. 
that's you know that's the key so it's not that we don't want to be emotional people i mean emotions are part of life that makes life worthwhile that make life fun that bring us joy uh it's just being making sure that we are in control of those emotions rather than they being in control of us dandi skumachi who i mentioned earlier i quote her early in the book as saying by all means take your emotions along for the ride but make sure you are driving the car and that's the key that is good. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So principle number two, understand the clash of belief systems. So what do you mean belief systems? Kind of sounds religious or, you know. Yeah, it sounds religious-y, doesn't it? But yeah. The, but no, that, that, and that, of course, is one, one part of a belief system. But, but really, a, um, when we talk about belief systems, we talk about beliefs. What is a belief? Well, by, by definition, a belief is a subjective truth. It's the truth as you understand the truth to be. It's a belief. Um, and so now sometimes a belief is the truth, but the truth is objective. It's not subjective. The truth is what it is. Um, a, a belief is simply what we believe. Now, sometimes the two are, are congruent. Other times they're, they're not. Now, as human beings, we our life is really run. We are run by a set of belief systems that we had really nothing to do with creating, uh, and they, they, they sort of run our lives on an unconscious level, uh, at least until we understand what, what this is about. Um, our belief systems are, are a combination of uh, upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores, everything we see, touch, taste, uh, smell. I think I left out one of the five senses, one of the five senses, but, uh, uh, but you know what I mean. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, probably see or hear or something like that. And, uh, and, um, but, but here's the thing about them that they're pretty much, pretty much set in stone, uh, by the time we're a little more than toddlers. We take in these beliefs, of course, uh, you know, without questioning them, without checking premises. We don't say, hmm, why is this true? How did this person come up with it, right? We just take them in. And then after that, everything sort of builds upon that basic belief system premise and, and only further, uh, you know, hammers it home and solidifies it. So, so most people really live their lives controlled, run by an operating system or belief system they're not even aware that they have. Now, right. What's more insidious than this is that the other person uh, who you're about to have this interpersonal situation with, let's say, um, this potential adversary, they're run by their own set of belief systems that they're not conscious of. So you've got two people both being run by a set of beliefs they don't even they're not even aware are running them. Now let's let's put one more little stumbling block on top of this. Uh as human beings, we tend to believe that everyone else sees the world basically as we see it. I mean, how could it be any different? That's all we know is our belief system. Uh, this is why you hear people say Things like, uh, oh, everybody likes that, right? Or nobody feels that way, right? But which isn't true. Or you've heard people say, or maybe you've even said yourself, I know I certainly have, oh, I would never do that to someone or say that to someone. Well, because that's our belief system. But others look at the world in a different way. And again, uh, it, it's not to say anybody's right, wrong, or indifferent. It is, it is what it is. So what the ultimate influencer needs to do 
is not necessarily understand their belief system. I mean, the chances are they don't understand their own belief system because they're not even aware they have one. What, what we need to do, though, is simply understand that that there is a clash of belief systems. I understand that this other person most likely sees the world through a very, very different lens than through which we see the world. And as long as we understand that, now we create the context where we can uh, act accordingly and, and create a situation where, where both of us can come away winners. Right. Well, those, for those of you that have just tuned in, you're listening to Ready, Set, Retire, and my special guest today is Bob Berg, and he has a great book that he's just come out with, Turning Adversaries into Allies. And this is Chris Miller, your host from readyforpretirement.com. So I just wanted to let everybody know we are in the middle of it, and right now you're going to tell us about principle number three. But before we do that, why don't you, Bob, tell everybody where they could get a copy of your book? Sure. If they'd like to visit my website at uh, Berg, dot com, uh, they, they'll see a... Um, a graphic of the of the book adversaries into allies and if they click on that it will take them to a page where they can actually download chapter one very easily to see if they uh, like where it's heading and if they do they can always click through and order at one of the online bookstores we have there uh, listed or they can get it at their local bookseller whenever they'd like while they're at the site they can also subscribe to my influence and success insights connect with me on social media um, click on the link for the Go Giver Way, which takes them to Go Givers International, our uh, online member community. So uh, visit Berg.com and have some fun. All right. Great. And for those of you that need to get my book, Ready, Set, Ready for Pretirement, and you can visit me at readyforpretirement.com. Okay. So... Uh, principle number three, acknowledge their ego. Sounds important indeed. <laughs> well, it, it really is, yeah. I mean, when you think of it, you know, what is the ego? Well, the ego, ego is simply the I. Literally, it's the I. It's that, it's that sense of ourself that understands and realizes that we are a unique being, separate from all other things and other people. I mean, that is just what the ego is. Now, it's almost a little bit politically incorrect for me to say that, because in, in today's world where individualism or the individual is sort of put aside for the collective in many ways, you know, people don't want to hear, what, what, separate from others? But, um, and, and by the way, this this doesn't conflict at all with uh, you know we we remember reading from uh, Napoleon Hill. He talked about the mastermind and uh, you know universal consciousness, and and we know from from quantum physics that there's the the universal plane of consciousness, and 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 the the atoms vibrate so fast in alignment with other. But I, and all that's great. I I subscribe to all of that. Actually, I I think it's probably all true. But that doesn't that doesn't conflict. There's no dichotomy there uh, with the fact that as human beings in our earthly existence, we also live uh, as individuals, separate from others as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we all seek happiness in our own way according to how we value happiness and again based on uh based on the the choices that we have available to us or make available to us um so uh, the ego 
um, you know, in and of itself is fine. I mean, uh, it's what drives us in many ways to accomplish. When, when we harness that ego, it can drive us to accomplish great things. Inventions are invented. You know, cities are created and, and, and all sorts of great things that help both the creator, you know, the individual creator and society as a whole. Uh, but it's when the ego kind of gets away from us and controls us, very much like emotions. Uh, you know, when, when they're in control, when the ego is in control of us, well, that's when very, you know, counterproductive things can happen. So we, we certainly have to acknowledge our own ego first. The reason I say ultimate influence principle number three is to acknowledge their ego. And, of course, when I say acknowledge their ego, I don't mean by verbally saying, hey, buddy, your ego, you know, <laughs> that would have the opposite effect. But um, but what I do mean is to just acknowledge that if this person is acting in a way that's that's uh, you know, again counterproductive, that's that's not nice, that is maybe even going against their own interests, uh, you know, there's a good chance that their ego has taken control of them. And if you don't acknowledge it and you just keep carrying on based on a, in a, a out of a logic base. Uh, it's it's not going to have a good result. So whether we think that their ego should affect us isn't really the question. The fact is their ego does affect us. And so we need to acknowledge that and, again, work within that environment. Uh, and when we do that, now we're on the, the right track. You know, I think in many ways, because yeah, we've all heard someone say, or maybe not all, but most of us have been in a, a situation where we heard someone say to someone, well, that's the best I'm giving you. Take it or leave it, right? And the person, even though it was actually a good deal for them, they left it. Why? Because because of their ego. They, they didn't want it. They were offended. And so, you know, things like this happen. So we've got to be that person that not only acknowledges our ego, but acknowledges the other. I really believe about 95% of, of getting someone to take the action you'd like them to take has to do with how you make them feel about themselves. And if they feel good about themselves, if they're going to feel good about you. And when that's the case, they're much more likely to take the appropriate action. That is so true. Absolutely. Really. So, okay, so now we're on principle four, and you're going to set the proper frame. So what is the frame? Well, the, a frame is really the foundation from which everything else emanates or, or, or takes place. Let me give you an example that I, I shared in the book. Um, I was at uh, my local Dunkin' Donuts store, and there was a little boy, a toddler, probably two, two and a half years old, and he was walking around the restaurant, and he was walking toward his parents when all of a sudden he fell on the floor. And yeah, you could tell he didn't hurt himself. He didn't fall very hard, and he didn't hurt himself. But you could tell by the look in his face that he was surprised. He was shocked. He intuitively understood that was not supposed to happen. So he immediately looked at his mom and dad. Why? For their interpretation of the event. Uh, what happened happened, but how was it going to be framed? How how were the parents going? Now I I truly believe just based on what I saw that had the parents uh, reacted in a, you know a, a panicky sort of oh no oh, are you okay you know upset I think he would have started crying, but what the mom and dad did is they they handled it just beautifully and they. You know, they smiled and applauded and they said something like, oh, that was so good. What a good trick or something like that. And he started laughing and giggling and had a great time. Well, what the parents did was they set a productive frame 
from which he could operate. And that's really what we need to do whenever we meet someone or we enter into a, a negotiation or we you know, need help from that customer service representative or where, you know, whatever it is we need to do. Uh, and, and that's, hey, that can be as easy as a, a genuine smile. Uh, it can be your body language being open and friendly as opposed to closed off. It can be just in a way that makes that person feel welcome. You know, it could be that uh, you're in a, a, a group conversation with a few people and someone walks toward the group and you can tell they'd like to join you, but they're, you know, they're a little tentative about whether they'd be interrupting. So what you do is you sort of open up your body a little bit, which, which gives them the frame of acceptance that says, hey, you know, come on in and join the conversation. So, now, so, so it's very important to set the proper frame. What's also important, though, is to be able to reset someone else's already negative frame or even neutral frame. Because in every interpersonal situation, including the uh, adversarial, potentially adversarial interpersonal situations, a frame will be set. The only question is, who is setting the frame, uh, you or the other person? And if you depend on them to set the frame, well, first, you know, you're depending on luck that they're even going to understand what a frame is, <laughs> which they probably don't, uh, but that regardless, they're going to intuitively set the proper frame. And you don't know that. They may, but they may not. Again, it's, it's luck. When you take the initiative to set the frame, now you know that the chances are great it's going to, to take place as you want it to because you're the one who is, who is uh, uh, making that decision. Right. Boy, good ones. This is, I really, really like the way that you these, – these things are all happening, but the way that you talk about it makes it really clear. And so in Principle 5, when you communicate with tact and empathy – Mm-hmm. Well, this is what brings it all home in a sense, because you could really do the first four you know, very well. You could control your own emotions, you can understand the clash of belief systems, you can acknowledge their ego, and you can set the proper frame. But if you don't communicate with tact and empathy, the chances are you know, it's not going to be completed, because tact and empathy is really, really what, what makes it work. Um, the uh, I, I remember reading a, a great book written many, many years ago by Les Giblin called How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People. And one of the things he wrote, which I really enjoyed, was what he, he wrote, what counts is attaining personal satisfaction without trampling upon the egos of those we deal with. Uh, we, you know, so it's funny. Tact relates to ego, which relates to emotion, and you know these all come together. But that's really because if you if you harm that other person's ego while you get what you want, well, again, not only is that a form of manipulation or force, but that person's going to either sabotage the the situation, or in the future, you're not going to have a person who will buy into uh, into it. So, uh, you know, my my dad has always defined tact as the language of strength. And I, I believe that's so true. And in my experience, it's proven to be true because what tact really allows you to do is to be able to, to correct someone, to critique someone, to uh, constructively criticize someone, if you will. Uh, and not that we ever want to do that. Of course we don't. Uh, 
But we're also talking about the real world, not a make-believe fantasy world where everything goes perfectly. I mean, there's times we need to be able to teach. There's times we need to be able to teach but uh, and, and show someone a better way to do something, whether it was the person who paid too much on a negotiable product or, or, or they uh, were disrespectful to someone, whether at work or family, or, or whether this person provided some incorrect information by mistake to a, a customer or a client. So we need to be able to teach them a, a different way of doing something, but we need to be able to do it in a way that not only is that person not uh, defensive about it and resistant to us and to our ideas, but that the person is uh, very accepting of this. And that's what tact and, and empathy, uh, that's what it allows us to do. Right. You know, I think, Bobby, you really need to have your own reality TV show called The Negotiator yeah. and show people how it works. I mean, because this is, should be a class in school, just like what I'm trying to do with the safe money, is people aren't educated. Sure. Oh, exactly. Two of the most important things, people skills and financial skills. Right. And, of course, they're not taught in school, by and large. Not at all. And and if people had these these traits and these gifts, they would be able to get through life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So you say there's one question you ask that's pretty much guaranteed to keep a potential misunderstanding from ever actually taking place. What is it? Yeah, this question is is based on, uh, again, understanding the clash of belief systems, just knowing that people can interpret words different ways, plus words have different meanings. And so often people think they're agreeing on something when they're really talking about two different things. Uh, for, For example... Uh, just more of a, a, a light example. Uh, two people uh, make an agreement to meet tomorrow morning or tomorrow night, tomorrow evening at five o'clock at the beach. So you go to that place on the beach where everybody meets, and you're waiting for your friend. He doesn't show up. The next day you see him. Hey, where were you? I was at the beach at five o'clock. Well, so was I. No, you weren't. Yes, I was. No, you weren't. Yes. Well, it turns out that while you were at the beach, the one near the ocean at five o'clock, they were at that new restaurant called the beach. You know, same word, two different meanings. Uh, you know, it's the it's the team leader who says, "Hey, the just heard from the client, the the deadline's been moved up. We need to have it done as soon as possible." Well, what does as soon as possible really mean? So one team member stays up all night getting it done. They miss their kid's ball game, and they're really ticked off the next day when nobody else has done anything. Well, I thought it had to be done as soon as possible. Uh, well, yeah, well, you know, we mean after the next project is done, get this the, the the current project's done. We'll do this as soon as possible because they came from two different backgrounds, where as soon as possible right. meant two different. Thing. So, so the, the basic question is to simply ask them, you know, what do they mean by or how would they define? So it might be using tact and empathy when you ask, so, uh, so it sounds a little more acceptable. You might say something like, well, Dave or Patty, when you say as soon as possible, is there a specific date you had in mind? Boom. Now they say, yeah, the end of day, you know, the end of the day next Thursday. Boom! Now everybody knows. Or someone says, let's meet at the beach. Oh, just for my own clarification, did you mean the beach by the ocean or that new restaurant, the beach that just opened up? So, so what you do is from. And by the way, when you're the person who is is giving the making the call as far as what something needs to be done, make sure that everybody else under you know just just so I can clarify what I mean by as soon as possible is we need to have it done by you know five o'clock 
end of day tomorrow or what have you. So it, it's a, the onus is always on the communicator to make sure the message is understood, and and so we need to make sure. So so that's really what that is. So from now on, just never assume that you really know that you really think you know exactly what that other person means. If there's any chance at all that it could be something different or interpreted differently, simply ask the person. Boy, that would eliminate a lot of arguments. Mm, yes, it would. Yes, it would. That's a good one. Okay. So it's a totally counterintuitive point that you write. You say, let them see you sweat. Really? You know, it kind of sounds like a great way to get trampled upon. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um well, we've all seen that. Well, not all, again, but you know, many have seen that commercial. Actually, probably, probably not, uh, because it was on back when I was younger. I don't know if it's still even plays, but there was an antiperspirant commercial that used to play that said, you know, never let them see you sweat. Right. And there was a double meaning because one was don't let them see you sweat because you're using their antiperspirant, but the other was if they see you sweat, like you just said, you know, if they see you sweat, if they see you're nervous. Yeah. They're going to jump all over you. You know, the dogs and lions are going to attack. And, and, uh, and, you know, what we find is that, by and large, that's not usually the case. Typically, if you let people know you're human and you're yourself and you come from a, a place of authenticity, typically people are going to be more likely to be on your side. And I, I learned this lesson when I was in fourth grade. Uh, and I talk about this in the in the book, and that, that uh, Miss Cadillac was our, our fourth grade teacher. And on the, the first day of class, we all sat there staring at her and while she was about to speak. And, and the first words out of her, her mouth were, uh, boys and girls, I've just got to tell you, I'm only 23 years old. I just graduated from college. This is my very first class, and I'm scared to death right now. And you could have heard a pin drop because, uh, yeah. And at, first of all, an adult scared of a bunch of kids, and also a teacher. We're not used to that. But what she did was she really, you know, just her intuitive brilliance is she let us into her world. She let us be a part of of what she was going through. And you know, we fell in love with her anyway because she was an angel and she had those kind of vibes. But right. but we really just so wanted her to succeed. <laughs> now, yeah. with that said. There's a time and place for everything. And depending upon the situation, sometimes the best advice in the world is not to let them see you sweat. And that's something we have to decide based on the situation and based on the context. But nine times out of ten, it's that person who they see as human that they relate to much more and they're much more likely to buy into. Right. The authentic person, right? Right. Yeah. So here's one that... Practically, everyone will want to know about one of the most difficult things we as human beings have to do sometimes is to tell, tell somebody no. It, it, it can be difficult. Why Why is it so difficult and how do you get over it? Well, I think it's, it's, it can be difficult because most of us want to please others. And if the request isn't something that's that's out of line, you know, we, we generally want to come through for people. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Unless... It is something that you really don't want to do uh, unless it's something you don't feel comfortable doing and there's no reason for you to to do it um, and that you would, you know, really choose not to do it. And when that's the case, the the correct answer is usually no. Uh, But it can be difficult because we don't want to disappoint the other person. Um, And uh, so, 
you know, I, I, so I, I see there being two ways that most people are sort of taught to say no, and I, I truly think both of these ways are counterproductive. Uh, the first way has become very politically correct over the last few years. I see a lot of people teaching this uh, at live seminars, and you know, I've seen it on TV, and that is, well, no is a complete sentence. You know, just tell people no; they'll have to get over it. Well, you know. That that's fine in theory, and I see people when they hear that they nod their heads in empowerment, like, "Oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do the next time someone asks me to do something I don't want to do." But right. is that really what you're going to do? Are you going to be rude like that and just tell someone no? Uh, uh, first, you're going to, uh, aside from it just being rude, you're going to take a potential friend and turn them into an adversary <laughs> when you do that. You'll also um, cut off any future opportunities to do something with them, which you might like to do. But the biggest reason for not not saying no that way is, again, it is rude, and it's, it's not congruent with your personal value system of treating people with kindness and respect. So uh, it, it's not something that I would really suggest um, using as a way of saying no. Now, the other way to, of doing it is just the opposite, which I, I also don't, don't um, think is correct, and that is to kind of make an excuse, lie, if you will, <laughs> and and say something like, well, I, you know, I, I would, but I, I really don't have time. Now, you might not think that's a fib, but it really is, because the fact is you do have time. What you don't have is the desire to do it. In other words, you don't value doing it as much as you value not doing it, because if you really, really wanted to, and felt it was you know you'd you'd find a way to do it so so rather than than doing that which which you know so and the reason I say this is because on a, on an unconscious level you're not going to feel good about yourself when you when you're kind of fibbing to someone so plus remember that that person is going to probably have an answer for you they're going to overcome that objection and when they do and they show you that time is really not an issue uh then you've got to either you know admit that you were fibbing <laughs> which you know that that's not going to turn out well or to save face you've got to then accept the thing that you don't want to want to do which isn't a good option either um or you know so so here's what I'm going to suggest you do and this is a life changer for for anyone listening who who set, who needs to know how to say no and who gets roped into saying yes uh more often than they'd like okay all you say, all you do is you simply say thank you so much while it's not something I'd like to do please know how honored I am to be asked that's all you say. Right. Thank you, or thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, or you could say, while it's not something I choose to do, but for me it's more congruent to say, while it's not something I'd like to do, please know how honored I am to be asked. So what you did is you very kindly, very nicely with respect, you let them know that you weren't going to do it. That just it, You didn't give an excuse. It just you don't want to do it. Uh, that's not something you want to do. But you really honored them, and you made them feel important, and you made them feel special. Now, if they come back one time, as they will sometimes, especially if they know, if, especially if they're the pushy type, or they know that you can be kind of uh, finagled into doing things, and they say some, oh, come on, we really need it just this one time. All you do, without any defensiveness, without any emotion, other than just you know kindness, you simply say, oh, thank you so much. I, I'd rather not, but thank you so much for asking. Boom, that's it. Again, no excuses, no nothing. But the kindness makes it so that they, you know, they can't possibly be mad at you or, or take it as an offense. 
Right, and they might even like you because you're being so nice. Well, exactly. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I, I have to say no a lot to people, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you do too, as an author and as a, a radio host. You know, people want our time, and uh, I can't think of many people who who don't have to say no more than they more than they they do right now. So th- this is something that really resonates with a lot of people because we all seem to have less time to do the things we really want to do and feel as though we're doing too many things that take up the time, you know. So so we need to know how to say no, but we need to know how to say it respectfully to others while respecting our own boundaries. Right. Beautiful. Okay, so you know, you go to the store and you want to buy, you know, product and it's just a bit overpriced. So, you know, how do you say this to the salesperson so they want to work with you, you know, instead of being pushing them? Yeah, well, and and again, this, you know, is, is based on the premise that this person has room to be able to, you know, to be able to negotiate on on price with you. So let's say it's someone who, yeah, it is an item that's that's negotiable, um, and the person offers you the the price, and and let's say it's just you know it's higher than you want to to pay. Uh, now the right thing to say is not I can't afford it because that you know that's out of that's operating out of weakness, and again it's probably not totally true. If you wanted it, you could afford it. But let's just say you want it, but you don't want to pay that price for it, and that's certainly legitimate. There's no reason why we shouldn't you know try to get the best price we can for something. Uh, we don't want the other person to lose money. Certainly, we want them to make money too. But if we feel again that the price is simply too high. Uh, or maybe the delivery time is is not what we need. We have a right to negotiate on that, and uh, and as long as we do it with respect and kindness, the chances are that person's going to want to work with us. So you know where someone say, well, that price is too high. I'll offer you this or that. Take it or leave it. Well, that person may just leave it because they don't want to be treated, you know, uh, like that. Or even if they do business with you, they're not going to be there to service it. Or you know, the, uh, so. So the right way to do it is to simply say something like, you know, Mary, uh, you know, or Dave, uh, thank you so much for working with me. And, and while I I love the idea of buying this from you, um, at this particular price and the, this delivery date, it's it's just not something I can justify doing. Right. Boom. Then what you do, you did an I message, uh, that, and you said I can't justify this. So in other words, it's not about them. It's not that they are this or that. It's that you know at this price and this. And now what you hope will happen. And so you, you, right after that, you don't say anything, and then you hope that they're going to say, well, uh, you know, what were you thinking of, or what if we offered it at so and so, so and so, and then you can decide if that's a, a good enough price or not. Now let's say that they they don't come back with a, a counter offer. And again, let's say that you really do want this, and so you'd like to see if you can get it at a at a lower price. You then might say something like, you know, again, Mary or 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 Dave, um, let me ask you this question: um, What kind of price could you offer me so that I can justify getting it now and not having to go shop around? So what you've done is you've basically, in a very, very nice way, you've asked them to lower the price, and basically it's like an insurance policy. If they offer a low enough price, you can justify getting it now. You're not saying you're not going to get it from them, but you're you're letting them know that you'll have to shop around, and you may be back, may not, what have you, but what kind of price could you give me so that I can justify making the purchase right now? And again, you're handling it in a way that's very respectful and in a way that that person wants to please you. Right. Much better. Okay, so here's a big one. I'm 
what do you think? Can I utilize tact and empathy to really get out of a traffic ticket? Uh, well, yeah, um, you, you can. And not only have I done it personally, but I've taught many people how to do this. And uh, and and here's where it won't work. First, it will not work if you are driving dangerously, or you know, way over the speed limit, or um, or on uh, you know, inebriated in, in any way. That then it won't work. When it will usually work is you know, maybe you didn't come to that complete stop, uh, or maybe you're going over the speed limit, but you know, certainly it's not. Uh, uh, public enemy number one crime, but still ticket worthy. Okay, and you see the flashing blues in the in the rearview mirror. And so what you do, of course, is you pull over. And if it's at night, you uh, you pull over, come to a complete stop. And if it's at night, you put the inside car lights on and put your hands on the ten o'clock and two o'clock position of the wheel and stay perfectly still as the officer approaches your vehicle. Why? Your what you've done is you've communicated empathy that hey, you know, and you're not saying this, but this is what you've communicated that I understand that as you're doing your best protecting and serving us, the most dangerous time for you is approaching. You know, a vehicle that you've stopped because you know, this person—they don't know who's who's in the car. So that's empathy. You're 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 putting yourself in their shoes, so to speak. Now, when they ask if you were going, if you realize you were going X number of uh, you know miles an hour, and uh, you simply say yes, I I do realize that. I apologize. Or if it's true, you might say, you know, I didn't realize it until I I heard your siren or saw the flashing blue lights, and I looked down, and you're absolutely right. I was going that speed. I, I apologize. So what you've done here is, aside from just being very respectful, you've told the truth, and that's something that they don't often hear. They've heard every lie in the book and more, and they don't believe any of them. So, again, you're separating yourself from everyone else, and you're being respectful, empathetic, polite. Um, now, what you, and you might right there just, just get, you know, he or she might tell you they're giving you a warning. But if you feel you, you need to take it a little bit further, you can always say something like, you know, officer, again, uh, no excuses. I absolutely was going that, or I absolutely was wrong. Um, this isn't something I usually do, and I'm wondering if it would be appropriate if I could possibly get away with just a warning this time. Now, in the, the language that you're using, if you notice what I said, if it would be appropriate, if I could possibly get this is language which I call backdoor language. You're giving that person an out. You're not trying to pressure them. You're you're giving them an out or a backdoor so that they don't feel as though they're being bullied. People generally want to be in control, you know, and and so when you do it that way. And then the you know, if you feel you need to, you can always use what I call the eight keywords that will usually move a person to your side of the issue, which is if you can't do it, I'll certainly understand. Uh, or if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. And when you say that, uh, you know, you're letting them know that, that while you have confidence that they can do it, they're more important than the outcome. And you've just given yourself the very, very best chances of getting a, a warning. Will it work every time? Of course not. It will work much of the time. Cool. And this is pretty much throughout the whole book. This is what I do. I give short stories that allow a person to put themselves in situations that they've probably been in and maybe didn't handle correctly, situations they might be in in the future. And I give them the words, the attitudes, and the structure to be able to be a real ultimate influencer. That's great. Well, you know, Bob, we, we've got, still have a ton more questions, and we're, we're almost out of time. Ah. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> so, but um, 
do you have a, like maybe a little cherry on the top you'd like to conclude with that you'd like to share with everybody? I think the big thing is simply understanding that when it really comes to being an ultimate influencer, you've got to take the focus off yourself and put it on the other person. Yes, you want to get what you want, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the way to do it uh, is through tying in what you want with the other person's wants, needs, and desires. Right. Beautiful. You know, I really, I, you know, I opened your book up, and, and it's so cool because you got these stories in there, and you pick up the phone, you're immediately met with a rage from the person on the other end. Yes, you're being verbally assaulted, and you go right into, you know, immediately I'm right there because mm. the mm. right in there, and I can see how to respond and act. So, you know, I definitely encourage everybody to get a copy of your book. Well, thank you. Again, that's uh, Berg.com. Yes, B-U-R-G.com. Right. And so, well, that's a wrap, I guess. Bob, I've really enjoyed talking to you. And for those of you, you can reach out to me at Chris, K-R-I-S, at Ready for Pre-Tirement. Go to my site. I've got some free articles and a lot of educational things so you can get up to date on what to do and make your money safe so you can have a fabulous future. And, Bob, really, really enjoyed talk to, talking to you as usual, and probably we'll talk to you again. Absolutely. Always love speaking with you. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Found out you can't take curve at 85. My whole life flashed before my eyes I braced myself to leave this world behind As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I say any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? From that moment I became a brand new me With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day When I'd have to search inside of me and say Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well cause when the curtain falls there ain't no second chances and you don't wanna ask yourself
I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter? Oh, oh. did I matter?